And the next words I hear are, this is Barack Obama and I'm not taking no for an answer. And then he, I now know that he's absolutely shameless about this. He said the most ridiculous things. He said things like, Hillary Clinton couldn't say no to me and neither can you, which is just, <laughs> it's just completely bananas. You're listening to The Playful Podcast with Christine Michie. This week, we welcome special guest, Cecilia Munoz. Hey there, Playful Podcast family. I am so excited for today's episode. I cannot wait for you to get to meet Celia Munoz, who is, of all the people I've talked to on Playful Podcast, and in fact, all the people I currently you know, work with, kind of hang out with professionally, I've known her longer than any of them. She's one of my oldest friends. We've known each other since the 1980s, and uh, we hit it off from the beginning and connected around so many things, including the, you know, the work around making the world a better place and just driven to do that from a young age. So um, she has taken that work to the highest heights, including uh, Pennsylvania Avenue. She worked for President Obama in both his first and second administration, and she was the director of intergovernmental affairs which is the job that liaisons with mayors and governors. And then in the second term, she was the uh, director of the Domestic Policy Council, which liaisons between all the cabinet secretaries and um, is in charge of putting a binder at the top of the stairs every night for the president, uh, telling him what's going to be happening the next day, among other things. Huge, big, important job. Uh, She's also a community organizer, a MacArthur Fellow, and uh, she loves to play cards and she sings in a chorus. So... Uh, listen up. It's a really fun episode. It's a bit longer than usual because, well, we just had so much to talk about and uh, the ice cream part at the end. We have some delicious chocolate ice cream that uh, we get a little distracted by. So enjoy. Well, hello there, Cecilia. So oh, yeah. good to see you. Welcome to the Playful Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you all, um, I'm so excited to share with you like a little peek in on this friendship and this relationship. I was uh, telling Cecilia that I was doing our our quick friendship math. And of all the people that have been on the podcast, and even more broadly, I would say that all the people that I work with, I know Cecilia the longest. And, and I was even starting to think, you know, you're around for a while and the people that you've known for decades um, are really significant. Cecilia is one of those. We met when a mutual friend of ours introduced us in the 1980s and we probably have co-workers younger than our friendship <laughs> did you guys get that i'm sorry co-workers younger than our friendship well that sounds playful <laughs> i love it so um everybody i'll have cecilia tell you a bit about herself as a way of um my introduction of her i'll i'll just kind of go with what um yeah, no particular order, but what comes to mind when I think of you. So Cecilia is a grounded and ambitious change maker. So um, a person with a lot of ballast and a lot of reach. And I met Cecilia when we were both recent. I was we were recently out of college. And so our journey professionally and personally has has all those parts to it. A precious moment that she and I share that will give you maybe an entree into some of her, you know, her CV, so to speak, was a really special few days we spent together during the inauguration, uh, President Obama's first inauguration in the in January of 20, 
2009. Mm -hmm. And Cecilia, Cecilia had accepted a position with the administration. And that was a very exciting time for so many of us in so many ways. And even though she was going to be starting work with the president the next day, she extended a wide welcome to her friends to come stay with her uh, for if we wanted to come for the inauguration. And so we descended upon her home in Silver Spring, Maryland. I, I don't know if there were 14 of us or 32 or nine, but it was a full house. It was 11. There were 11 people in, in addition to me in my little tiny house. Oh, it's so good. And, you know, in her abundant spirit, you know, comforters were coming It was, you know, kind of any sort of slightly soft item could be put on a floor and turned into a bed in a moment's notice. Every sort of sheet and pillow in the house was commandeered. And, um, and we spent that, that those few days together and we went to the inauguration together. It was a cold, cold, brilliant, cold day. I, I mean, there were millions of people and it was just glorious. So we get, we get back to her house that night and as I recall, we're and we were sort of thawing out and and having dinner around the table. I think spaghetti. And yeah. I don't so, know if it was one of us out of towners who was still pretty starstruck by the whole thing. Maybe me said, hey, how do you get to go to those balls, those, <laughs> those dances or those parties? Right. And Cecilia, you know, really did need to both thaw out and get to sleep to get to work the next day. But she said, oh, I have some bids or whatever the tickets are called. And so our, our mutual friend who was there, Linda, um, and I said, well, we want to go. So Cecilia, we all stepped into her closet and she basically said, well, whatever, because we didn't, we hadn't brought gowns to wear or dresses or anything. We just brought warm clothes to be outside. Uh, and we we rigged up some outfits and off we went. And oh, so fun. And what a, what a special, what a special moment. And then to see if I may, if I'll, I don't want to skip all the you getting to talk about your work, but if you would share the story that we share about the next day when you, when you headed off to work. Yep. So um, I had forgotten about the inauguration dresses, by the way, the ball dresses. I still have them, by the way, all these years later. Um, so the next day I'm going to my first day in the West Wing, which is absolutely terrifying. And at some point in the conversation, over the course of the weekend, many of the people who were staying were moms. Um, and I, you know, I have, two, I had two daughters at home and my husband was traveling. Um, and so I must have said something flip about like, Lord only knows when the laundry is going to get done. <laughs> and so the, the, the first day of work, I, you know, I go early to start work in the West Wing and everybody else was dispersing and going home, but you had one more day to spend in DC and go do DC things. So that was sort of the plan was that you were going to do fun DC things and then catch your flight. Um, and I get home from work and you had stayed in my house and you did our laundry and you cooked us dinner. So I got home to all of this beautifully folded laundry for me and the girls and, uh, and a pot of chili on the stove. Um, which was the most amazing gift. And it was the most generous thing because you could have used, I'm sure, some alone time in the city. And you spent it helping us. And I recently was asked the question about what is what is a kindness that someone did for you that you remember? And that was my example. Oh, Cecilia, it's 
and 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 everybody who's listening, um, Cecilia shared with me that last tidbit recently that she, that that had come to mind for her all these years later when asked that question, and I thought how how special it is, remarkable to have a such a pristine and 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 precious treasured moment shared by two people who experienced it from you know sort of the two the two players in the story, the giver and the receiver, and in. And again, the giver and the receiver, because you were the giver of the hospitality and the opportunity to come to the inauguration and be connected so proximate to the to the work that was beginning. And it was just, and then I have to add about the socks. Yes. And, and I've used this example a lot about, and it fits in with Playful Podcast, because as you know, what we talk about is bringing fun to the serious work of changing the world, which is a life balance goal, right? How do we how do we do hard work and take care of ourselves and how do we have fun and still stay stay focused? So one of the things I talk about we've talked about before and this is a great example of is like don't kind of the don't sweat the small stuff way we can give ourselves a break. So one thing that happened while I was working on the laundry was that I could not find any matching socks. And I really, and we all know about that, how that happens and like where did that one sock go? And you know, there must be a sock fairy somewhere collecting them all. But it, but I couldn't find any that matched. <laughs> and so I thought, I must have the fatal flaw here. So I searched around a bit more thinking maybe I hadn't found. So that was my only chagrin when, when Cecilia got home. I said, you know, and she was grateful. I said, I know, but I'm just like, I could not find any matching socks. And you said, my girls don't wear socks that match. They just grab socks and put them on. <laughs> so they were never, there were never, ever matching socks. <laughs> and really- it made... Doing the laundry so much easier. Oh my god! And I, since that day, it has reminded me that that is a perhaps a societal norm that is not necessary. <laughs> they grew up fine. I can um, just report they are now twenty-seven and thirty, and the lack of matching socks appears not to have damaged, not, not held them back at all. Awesome. All right, so let's, if you would, will you want to maybe a little pre-Obama and then a little post-Obama share with the audience what you've been up to. And I know uh, the playful um, twinkle in your eye will will be sparked, and, we'll, and then we'll we'll talk about some of that as well. Yep. So I'm a I'm a Midwesterner first of all, very important Midwestern daughter of immigrants from from Bolivia. So I'm a Midwestern Latina, which is a thing that many <laughs> people don't know is a thing. Um, and my career has really been in public service, public policy. So I was I met you in Chicago when I was running. A legalization program for immigrants. Um, uh, back the last time we legalized undocumented immigrants in great numbers, which was in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I spent 20 years at a group which was then called the National Council of La Raza. It's now called Unidos US. It's the largest Latino civil rights and advocacy group in the country. So I started as their immigration person and ended up running their public policy division. And that's when I met um, then Senator Obama. Mm-hmm. who, when he was president-elect Obama, recruited me to come work in the White House, which I did for all eight years. So that- Ooh, Can I interrupt? Can you yeah. tell the, mini- the minivan story with Rahm Emanuel? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So this is a completely bonkers thing. So when um, I got the call saying, oh, well, we'd like you to come in for an interview for a, for a job at the White House, I was gobsmacked by that because- I'd supported his campaign, but I hadn't, I wasn't one of those people angling for a job. In fact, I was very sure that you need good people on the inside and good people on the outside. I was very sure I was an outside person. So I was kind of shocked, but I thought, well, I'll go in for this interview because 
it's perfect. I don't want the job, so it's no pressure. But I get to kind of find out what they're, what Rahm Emanuel's thinking about immigration policy. So excellent. So I went in for the interview and I was very honest with them and said, you know, I got teenage kids. My mother's recently passed. I'm not sure I'm ready to turn my family's life upside down. And they said, well, we have really bad news for you. We, we actually really want you to take this job. And I t- talked to my family about it and I called them back and said, no. <laughs> um, and, and Jim Messina, who went on to, who was one of the people interviewing me and went on to become deputy chief of staff said, you know, I don't think this is over. And I thought, oh, please, of course it's over. Like everyone in town wants these jobs. You're going to have, you have like an embarrassment of riches. I'm going to try to stay focused on my family here. And then the next day I'm driving the minivan. I'm driving with my, my sister's visiting from out of town. My daughter Mira is in the backseat and um, my cell phone rings. I, I pull, I remember exactly where we were. I pull into the parking lot of a local um, nursing home and I look at the phone and it's a, it's a 312 number. That's Chicago area code. And I think, oh no. <laughs> and it's Ram Emanuel, who I had interviewed with. And he says all of the things, right? You know, we're going to make this a family friendly White House and we really want you to do this and we really need you on immigration and other things. And then he's the next words he and he says, Can you hang out for a, a moment? <laughs> and the next words I hear are, This is Barack Obama, and I'm not taking no for an answer. And then he I now know that he's absolutely shameless about this. He said the most ridiculous things. He said things like, Hillary Clinton couldn't say no to me, and neither can you, which is just <laughs> this is just completely bananas. So um I've learned since then that when he wants to hire someone and Lord knows why he wanted so badly to hire me, um, that he is completely shameless. I've watched him sit like next to somebody's spouse at a dinner because she is, you know, pushing not to do like working over the spouse until everybody said, yes, like he's totally shameless about that. So, yeah. So I had this weird Barack Obama just called me on my cell phone moment. I love it. And do I remember, or two things. One is, are his girls and your girls close in age? Not, no, they're younger. His two they're, daughters are younger than mine. They're younger. Okay. But yeah. he did, did, or either Rom said, or he said something about, like, this will be a family-friendly place. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And they did their best, to their credit, to make good on that. Although the White House is never a family-friendly place. Like, let's just be real. Right. I mean, it's family-friendly for the president. Right. Because he lives there. They live there. Um, his commute is really short. But they did things like the, you know, when we, and this was so long, long enough ago that this was actually an innovation. When we got laptops, the people who got laptops first and right away were the people with kids at home. Oh. So that, so that we could yeah. take our work home if you weren't, if you didn't have to work on a classified system. Yeah. So, um, so they tried. And they instituted family leave for people, for men and women who, when they had children, which is a policy which did not exist mm-hmm. in the White House. So like when um, uh, Jen Psaki was hired as a communications director, when she interviewed, she confessed to the chief of staff that she was pregnant. And what he said was, oh, that's great. We love babies. Uh-huh. And she got the job. And then a few months after she started the job, she went on her maternity leave. We love and, babies. And then- Josh Ernest, who became the chief, uh, became the press secretary when his kid was born. He also took family leave. That was important. Love it. Let me, and I don't, I want to come back and I want to hear what you've been doing. Well, that was eight amazing years, two big jobs, 
in each one, each in each administration. Um, let me just, as a chance to to kind of segue a little bit around play, how did or did playfulness show up in the White House? Sounds like there was a, in this conversation about kids and family, there was sort of a, at least an intention and a stated desire to be open to the whole person being at the job, the holistic thing. And so was there, a, was there, I mean, there must've been some laughs. And, oh, yeah. and and not only laughing at yourselves, but laughing with each other. And tell me, in, in, and I think I was thinking, you know, those of us that don't know Barack Obama, but have a sense of him from watching, he seems to be a playful spirit. Yeah. Um, how did that show up? Oh my gosh, in so many ways. Um, I mean, it was it was a mo- one of the most intense experiences of my life, but it was also just enormous fun and camaraderie was amazing. Um, so I mean, I can- give you a number of examples. One, I had a, so it, for the last five of the eight years, I was the president's domestic policy advisor and I had a front office team um, of people who I greatly love um, that had this, a lot of them had worked on the campaign and they had this like little, little tradition from the campaign, which was, which is actually in an environment where every email that you write is saved for eternity, right? And it goes to the National Archives. It's a presidential record. It's like sacred stuff. Um, They had a tradition from the campaign that if you happen to leave your desk without locking down your computer to go like go to the bathroom, someone would slide in and then send everybody an email as if they were you. Um, Yeah, yeah. And we, we had some, we had some pranksters on the team. So I remember the, uh, young woman who served as my scheduler when I first got that job, her name was Shannon and she left her desk and another one of my colleagues sat down and typed a message as if it were Shannon saying, I just want y'all to know that today is my birthday and nobody has said anything. <laughs> um, and I expected flowers and it just like went on and on and on. And it went to the whole staff. And of course everybody mobilized. It's like, Oh my God, it's Shannon's. And she so, had no idea. She was mortified. <laughs> she was asking. So that somewhere, if you want to go someday to the mm-hmm. National Archives and find that message, it's there. Um, and lots so of birthday wishes float in. People pranked each other a lot that way. Yeah. That is so fun. Um, and well, tell me about, was there, like, did you ever got to the Rose Garden? That whole idea that like, you need a break, like go outside. Was there yeah. a go outside thing at the White House that was a, a kind of a coping and play mechanism? Well, so we were all invited to use the place that that got set up for Sasha and Malia. And I'm oh. not sure. I don't know if anybody actually did. <laughs> the place that you could use. And the, there's a rose garden. And then beyond the rose garden is the South Lawn, which is this enormous expanse. And the first lady's vegetable garden was there. And, and that is just open. Like you can walk on it. And in fact, in the, the four years that, um, Dennis McDonough was chief of staff, he and the president closed out the day every day by walking on the, oh. like they had walking meetings on the South Lawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, you could, you could go. I mean, the hard part was having the time. Yeah. Yes, you could absolutely go for a walk. You could go visit the first lady's garden. Um, and the grounds are, are beautiful. You yeah. Know? It's, it's a very special place and the views are amazing. Mm. And then spring there's these magnolias that i think were planted in the andrew jackson era wow so they're enormous and spectacular and you there was a little spot that 
just as you walk into the Rose Garden, sort of right off of the Oval Office, that's it's just a little ramp. Um, and, you know, and, and you walk by it all the time. And it hit me one day as I was walking down that ramp that it could have been steps, but it's a ramp. And the reason that it's a ramp is because President Franklin Roosevelt was in a wheelchair. Oh. <laughs> um, and that's that was like one of my little touch points, like, yeah. oh, my gosh, this is this yeah. ramp is an FDR ramp. And wow. I'm standing in this place. And what am I doing here? Oh, my God. Yeah. You know. So I yeah, know. there's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful space. The hard part was having the time to be present in it. Okay, and I gotta ask. I know my kids when they first started working professionally, their only touch point around office was this the TV show, The Office. So mm-hmm. they were, and I remember when my daughter was thinking about possibly she was she got a uh, major in sociology, and she asked me, everyone, she's everyone was asking her, what are you gonna do with that? And I told her expansively, you could do anything with that. What a great major. But, you know, for example, if you need an answer, you could tell people you could work work in HR. And she goes, oh, like Toby in the office? So it's like, so I'm thinking one of the things about that show that those of us that have worked in offices can really relate to is that like that really um, stiff and forced fun that they, that, you know, the birthday example, like meeting in the conference room for somebody's birthday. And I don't, think many gatherings of corporate and otherwise of office folks have been able to break that habit though. I don't think anyone really enjoys it. And so much so that it's like, you know, a running joke on that show. Did that kind of stuff happen in the white house? Well, there were a lot of um, goodbye parties. So for when people, mm-hmm. the average lifespan of a, of a West Wing staffer is about two years. And I was okay. there for eight, which is again, wow. bonkers. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when people left after their generally after a couple of years, there would generally being be a going away party. And so I went to a lot of them. Yeah. Um, and there was, you know, the really good ones had a sheet cake. <laughs> the sheet cake. The White House mess makes an excellent sheet cake. I will just um so so for the for the person having the going away party it was obviously a very emotional thing. They were like working in the White House and now they were leaving and saying goodbye. And once you leave, it's you're actually barred by the ethics rules from from talking to the people you used to work with. So you're really saying goodbye. So for them, it's a sort of intense thing. But for those of us who are still on the the inside, it was like, oh my God, another goodbye party. (laughs) So there was a a little element of that. But (laughs) at a place like that, you just try to, if you lose the sense of specialness, Mm. it's time to go. I mean, that that really means you sort of outlived your appreciation of it. I love it. I love it. All right. Now I'm going to, I'm going to leap us forward as a segue. So Cecilia's book, More Than Ready came out. Let me see if I can remember without looking up. I think it came out a year and a half ago or am I losing months? A month after everything shut down, April of 2020. Oh, okay. Okay. So golly. So we're coming up on three years, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, And this is a beautiful book. I'll tell you the, um, the, the 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 blurb tagline on the front is be strong and be you and other lessons for women of color on the rise. And um, I'm, I'm holding it up. Um, this is a very kind of, if you can see my dog ears, see how those, I got my dog ears wow. and I got my post-its um, wow. and lots of good underlines. And, um, and it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful kind of combination of memoir stories from the, from the journey and lessons coalesced. And, I was recalling um, 
and 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 Cecilia's work since the White House is is part of are part of what's chronicled here as well. So I'd love you to talk a little bit about um, about your work with um, Cecilia serves on several foundation boards. She is um, a part of something called Welcome.us, which is welcoming refugees from around the world to sponsored homes in the United States. And then, and then I told, I swear folks, we're going to talk about a silliness, but I think we already have touched on it. And if you're seeing what I'm seeing in Cecilia's smile and face and countenance, this is all good fun. And this is all super important work. And so um, I'll, I'll, I'll pull out that I, I was looking at it again uh, last night before getting on with you this morning. And I was remembering about uh, singing um, is, is one of your play tools you are you you are a singer and you joined a chorus I don't know if you're still in it but I remember you you had mentioned it and you told me that you were in a chorus you also use walk as a form of play and taking a break and I'd love to hear so you know maybe sharing with you about sharing with us about your kind of your current work and play life yep yep so I just I just left a job at a think tank called New America at the turn of the year but I so I've been sort of associated with an organization um, up until Jan- up until this January for the whole time since I left government, working on something called public interest technology, which is essentially about bringing the tools of technologists to, to public service, to making sure the government can deliver what it's supposed to deliver. And as you said, I sit on a bunch of boards. And then I, I help, I'm working with a couple of projects that are, Welcome.us is one of them, which are about applying sort of what I know mm-hmm. to help solve some of the problems that I see in the world, which is a very luxurious thing, but it's all mm. quite serious work. Like I'm a public servant. That's like, and a, and a part of the civil rights movement. And that's, that's who I am. It's what I do. I, like I, I have trouble distinguishing sort of who I am from what I do. Mm. Um, and it's, and some of it's, you know, and like I'm an immigration policy expert, some of it is quite heavy work and, and not just heavy I'm in that it's intense, but heavy in that, like we, we don't win a lot of battles. Mm. I do. Um, and so it's really, really important. It, in, in order for it to be sustainable, you have to really take joy in it. And some of that yeah. is about the people that you work with. I've been, I'm very blessed to work with amazing, amazing people. But some of it also is making sure that you bring, you, you find sources of lightness, sources mm. of, of joy, sources of that, that ways to get your head out of it. So singing is definitely one of those for me. I sing with a a chorus called the National Philharmonic. And that's a thing that just takes you right outside of yourself. And I I get huge joy from that. And I'm a walker. I walk every day. And, um, you know, that's an opportunity for me to just, again, be, you know, I fortunately live by a park and a creek and like, you know, be in those places. And I'm also, I chuckle when I say this because it sounds a little like an old lady thing. I'm in a couple of groups of women who play cards. So I have a poker group of people play poker periodically and a group of friends that like every couple of weeks we play bridge. We've taught ourselves to play bridge. Um, I love it. Yeah. It's great. It's, and that's, that's obviously pure play. We get together, we chat and then we play cards. (laughs) I love playing cards and finding not everyone does. And finding people that like cards and like card games. Um, I just finished reading Personal Librarian, 
which is a fantastic book. It's a historical fiction about a woman, the woman who put together J.P. Morgan's library, his his collection of books, manuscripts, like Caxton's and and the and the um, Gutenberg Bibles. I mean, he had all that. He, or I think the collection still does. And she was an African American woman that passed as white. And this is in the early 20th century. So it's her story moving in those circles and kind of that di- identity, you know, kind of masking and then living her identity. Fascinating book. And she and he, and, and this is, and I, you know, it's mo, it's true. And if you read the author's notes, it's co-authored. And if you read their notes, you'll see how it is really, it's almost as if it's nonfiction. But she and, and he played something called Bezique, B-E-Z-I-Q-U-E. So this is on my mind to learn. I actually, my mom and dad like to play cards. I recently texted them and said, what if we start having a card date? Because they're both still alive. They're 82. And I'm trying to find more treasured moments to spend with them. And they like cards. So I'm. it's two decks of cards from you just, but you take just from the seven to the ace high and you just play with those cards. I don't know anything else. There's a YouTube guy that talks about it, but. If your group has a twinkle in their eye to try something new, Bazique is this game that she and he played. And of course, I took a note that I wanted to find out about that. Well, and one of the ways that my we got through the lockdown period of the pandemic, so I have adult daughters, is my husband and I and the two of them would get on Zoom and play a, there's a card game, which is sort of an upper Midwest kind of thing called Euchre, mm. um, which also uses a shortened deck. Uh-huh. It's just the nines and up. Um, and we, we had a, a Euchre tournament that went on for like two years. Oh, <laughs> neat. Yeah. yeah. That was a great idea. I hadn't thought about playing cards on zoom. I love that idea. All right. So if you would talk a little bit about, well, let me, let me test this out. I think I know one of your accolades and superpowers as a policy an advocate professional is an ability to bring people together from different walks of life. And when you were director of intergovernmental intergovernmental affairs, folks, that's that's if I can the the, the corraler and ringleader of all the mayors and governors. Mm-hmm. And so, by definition, you're going to have people from different parties, persuasions, geographies, etc. Um, Domestic Policy Council, you're I suspect kind of trying to liaison and navigate on behalf of the cabinet and the president and trying to move things forward. The work you did at La Raza, now Unidos, your community organizing, and then even Welcome.us, which is a very bipartisan, strongly by by brand, even if you go and and please do folks look them up online, saying, you know, kind of, we're all united. And I wonder how play, if I can make the connection, how you find play and playful spirit being helpful in bringing people together from different persuasions. Oh, I think it's essential. I mean, that, that right because in these weighty times where we're so divided and and there's a lot of um frankly ugliness and hate and yelling and all of those things. I and I find this for example in the choir that I sing with. Like those are people who are coming together to stay we you know, we what the thing we have in common is that we sing. And it means people from really from all kinds of different walks of life. Like it's not a public policy nerdy circle like the ones I work with. It is people who sing in their church choirs and, you know, scientists at the National Institutes of Health, which is down the street, you know, who like I wouldn't be rubbing elbows with necessarily in a work context. Yeah. Um, 
And we're not having political conversations Mm -hmm. or or talking about the events of the day, unless we're chit-chatting, you know, in between rehearsals and things. We're doing this, this, we are making art together. Um, And that's, it's a very unifying thing. Like you can't function as a, as a chorus, unless you are listening and united and taking joy in the thing. And you know, you walk, you walk out of those experiences feeling like, oh yeah, like, so I have no idea if I agree with these people about the events of the day, but, but, but we are, but we are one thing together and that's pretty essential. And it, it, it really increases your capacity and, and to engage across lines of difference and to remember, because I think sometimes we are all so in our bubbles that we forget to remember that we like share a community with people who are not like us, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Uh, and it's important to behave yeah. like a community. Yeah. I love it. I, I remember someone saying, you know, a good opening line, if you're in, if you know, you're engaging or going to be engaging with someone of different political persuasion, if you happen to know that that will be the case is to ask them if they have a pet to start, like, do you have a cat or a dog? Are you a cat or dog person? Just something that like reminds us that it's, how consequential the inconsequential can be in establishing some rapport connection. and a basis connection exactly yeah. and that i talk about this a little bit in the book I, I you know i um had a section about walking through the neighborhood i grew up in as my dad was was near the end of his life and knowing that in the neighborhood i grew up in people are of a very different political persuasion than i am and feeling conflicted about that mm-hmm. but these are so this the same people who you know might make the argument that people like us don't belong in the united states mm-hmm. we're also bringing you know devil mm-hmm. after he died you know yeah. or offering right. help as we right. were sitting vigil so that's important it's it's everything <laughs> yeah know? and it reminds like both things can be true at the same time Yes. Right. And I think by, by definition, polarization suggests that can't be so. Right. Right. That there are just poles, but there aren't. But like both things can be true deviled eggs and voting differently. Yeah. We want people to be good or bad. Mm-hmm. And turns out they are, we're, we are all both. Yeah. I'd love it. Okay. We are going to take a break. Cecilia is going to go get her ice cream. I brought mine in a little cooler here by my desk um, because I think ice cream is one of those things that brings people together. And so we're going to, Cecile's going to get hers and you can feel, go ahead and put that, put that on pause, go get it. She'll be back. Uh, So folks, we have a segment of the podcast called what's the scoop and we eat ice cream and uh, we try and watch sort of the chewing noises online, but, but bear with us because sometimes we just get so excited about the ice cream. Um, There might be the sound of a slurp or a (laughs) chunk and Today's ice cream is brought to us by Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream. I'm grabbing it here. And we have, you may all recall that we had Cool House ice cream in uh, the first uh, the first season. And now we have some Jenny's. And I was delighted to hear when I asked Cecilia, as I do with all my guests, what kind of ice cream do you like? Because I'll make sure to send them what they like. That she, I think I, can't, I had written it down. I was going to actually quote you word for word, but something about like, it must be chocolate. And so, <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, I am so of that same exact persuasion. All right. And I'm very excited about this. And 
And, you know, the podcast, we record at all different times of day. And so just by definition, every time is a good time for ice cream. <laughs> and so let's see, I think our, what's our ice cream called? Darkest chocolate, right? Yes. Yeah. I was very excited when it arrived. Mm-hmm. And this is, folks, so Jenny's is a B Corp. If you're not familiar with what that is, that is a designation you can secure. And it's pretty arduous to get. So it means something when you get it, that your company has sort of a double bottom line. It's doing whatever business it's in. Oh, here it is. It even says here on their label, we are certified B Corp, which means we don't just make good stuff. We actually do good stuff. And Jenny still runs the company. They started in Ohio and it's all, let's see, this is grass raised milk. Okay. There's all kinds of good stuff. Going. And Cecilia, how is it? It's really good. It's very chocolatey, which is just, oh my God. The thing. It kind of had, it reminded me of something to being a kid. Yeah. I don't know what about this chocolate reminds me of being a kid. Oh, like a fudgicle? Oh, yeah. Maybe? Only much, much better. Mm-hmm. A higher quality. That was like ice milk. We didn't really know better back then. Right. Oh, man. This is very nice. So the other play on words with what's the scoop, folks. Just as an excuse to eat ice cream. <laughs> it's good to have a reason. So the reason we're eating ice cream. What's the scoop, Cecilia, on how you came to care? Sort of your your origin story of being this kind of person that looks out in the world and says, you know, what can I do to help? If I see an imbalance, I'd like to write that imbalance or write that wrong. You know, I don't remember a time when I didn't think that way. Mm. That like from the earliest when people would ask me, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? I, 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 there's never a time when I can't remember being aware that I wanted it to be something by helping other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but like what that actually means is a whole nother question. So as a graduate student, I was able to, I had some funding, so I was able to volunteer. I volunteered in a legal services clinic serving immigrants, right? I come from this immigrant family. It seemed like an interesting thing to do. And, um, I, that's, that's how I got started, um, was working as a volunteer. And then when I moved to Chicago, I was very sure that I was destined for a job in direct service because mm-hmm. that's what I'd been doing as a volunteer. So I kind of road tested it and I knew I liked it and, yeah. and then discovered actually that although my program was really successful, that I was actually not cut out for direct service. Yep. I had trouble letting go. I I, have, I I wrote this and I took notes last night, reminding myself from things in the book. You said, oh, I don't know. I just, what I put in quotes was terrible. I was terrible at it. Yep. I was. I couldn't let go of the people that we couldn't help. Mm. And at one point I described my job to a reporter as like, it was, it's like watching people be pushed off a cliff, knowing you can only help some of them. Oh. The, the words of someone who loves their job. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, discovered that I wasn't cut out to do the thing I thought I was meant for, but I also found my voice as an advocate in that job. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's really how I found my path Yeah, was the people we were serving had advocacy needs. And I discovered I was good at describing them um, to, you know, people making policy decisions. So, so it was kind of, and I tell the story to young people, especially, because I think it's important to sort of say, yeah, I thought I was going to do this and mm-hmm. I sucked at it and discovered mm-hmm. that I was better suited to do something else. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and the book, that's a great point because the book is, you know, for, for everyone, but, but specifically um, as the subtitle describes for, to talk about for young women on the rise, women of color on the rise, for them to kind of hear all the different stories and pathways that might be open to them through the ones that you've experienced and those that you know. Yeah. And it's about having confidence, right? That you yeah. see what you know and what you bring. So let me ask you, who's the most playful person you know? My kids, mm. for sure. Um, I have two daughters. They are now 27 and 30. And they are they are just the silliest humans in the <laughs> best possible way. It was that sock thing, right? Just It was early, early rebellion. Must have been the sock thing. So yeah, and there is... You know, we we we're not together the four of us very much anymore. But when we are, it's just it's just a lot of silliness in the again in the best possible way. So some of the research on play talks about different kinds of play, and everything from sort of physical play like rough and tumble, playing tag, and all that kind of things to practical jokes to um, word play to games, etc. Do do the girls have different play styles? So. Um, we, we are board game people. So mm-hmm. there's that, like, so that they, they like a good spooky game. If there's mm. like a haunted something in the game. They are all in. What do you um, mean? Like clue? Uh, well, clue is, I think one version, they're much more elaborate ones now. Yeah. We played one over I the I just dated myself. I'm sure. <laughs> called Mysterium, where a ghost is trying to, to give you clues on a, Thing that you have to solve like so, a Ouija board kind of situation uh, well more like it's like a, a cooperative game but with a scary theme they like a good Ooh. so I'll give you another example of the kind of the kind of silliness that runs amok in our house I try to have like if they come home for Christmas we I I, I usually come up with a cooking project because <laughs> we all like to cook and um one year it was a gingerbread house and they couldn't get the roof to stay up so it looked like a gingerbread ruin and they immediately immediately, like they didn't need to discuss it they were both immediately turning it into a haunted house Mm. pools of blood and there were zombies and that's uh that's how they roll them merry merry christmas (laughs) all right you talk in the book about inputs and outputs and i wonder if play fits into that. Can you talk a little bit about your your theory around inputs and outputs? Yes. So somebody who's wired like you and I are, right? Trying to make the world a better place, working on very serious things. Um, that's, you know, it's who we are, but it's also output, right? That we're mm-hmm. engaging with people. We're trying to move coalitions forward. We're trying to persuade people of things. It's all output. And we're, we're, we're still like machines. We're still organisms. There needs to be input as well. Mm-hmm. Like you need the stuff that feeds you. Yeah. If you're gonna, if if you, the context of your workday is output, you have to be mindful of the input. Like whatever that turns out to be, going for a walk, listening to music, having a meal that nourishes you physically, but also in other ways. Um, there can for you know if you have a spiritual practice that's a big 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 elements of that so and play is of course like laughter yeah is an input mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. It you it, and it's and it's an essential one yeah I'm learning more and more how much art is an input mm-hmm. and and was reading just this week about about how 
art is actually like essential to humans. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it is, it's, there's like documentation of the physical ways in which it's, and it's input. So you, you just, if you're, it's very easy to get out of balance. I, I, you know, work in the, live and work in the DC area. This town is awash in people who are out of balance. Mm -hmm. Um, And you really do, you can, you really can get to empty and I've seen Mm -hmm. it happen and it's very nearly happened to me. So you need to, you need to mind the inputs as well. Like it's okay to spend yeah. time to put yourself on your own calendar. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to spend the, um, and ice cream can be ice cream can be an input. To, uh, it is. I want to take another bite. And do you see how big the spoon is I'm using too? Oh, I, I like use that. a soup a soup spoon for sure. Especially if it's chocolatey ice cream, it's definitely. Yeah. An and did you notice we didn't even ask each other about whether we were going to put it into a bowl? No, <laughs> that'd be right silly. Because right then we'd out. have to do a dish also. so as we wrap up i'd love you to share with us of all the things you've worked on are working on or might dream of working on next where can we plug in and be of support to you where would you call our attention of what you're working on what do you think needs your light you're shining your light on it for us to see what a nice question thank Mm. you i would most love for folks to look at the welcome.us website and to ask themselves how they might help with the work of resettling people coming here from other countries. So um, a couple hundred thousand people across the country have stepped up to sponsor, for example, people from who are fleeing Ukraine right now. And there are opportunities to sponsor people from Venezuela, from Nicaragua, from Cuba, and from Haiti, people who are fleeing some real devastation and and who need who need support um and the um, lovely lovely thing is that there are people doing this all over the country yeah um and they're forming groups like your your book group could could sponsor a refugee for example um it asks a lot of people and right it means helping someone find housing and learn english mm-hmm. but it not only transforms the lives of the people that you help it it it's transformative for you. Um, and people all over the country are doing it. And there is the welcome.us site gives you access into how to help. Love it. Let me ask you real quick, just so that, cause I looked at it and I, my first thought was I don't have an extra room. Can you just spell for me what, what it means to sponsor so that I'm can yeah. help myself and others see there's so many ways to help. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean in, in your home. If you're, let's say you're, if your church group decided to take this on, um, as a group, you would, you know, figure out, get donations to to pay some rent for a local apartment or see if there's a facility in your church where people might stay. Um, and there are, you know, there are Airbnb hosts who use their mm. homes for this purpose. Neat. There are ways you can donate your frequent flyer miles to help fly someone right. from, you know, wherever to their new home here. Um, there are all kinds of different ways to, to engage. And it is, there's some lovely videos on the website that show you what people have done. And it is really. Oh, glorious. It's, it's, it's pretty inspiring. Oh, that's wonderful. And, and I think to, to kind of wrap up this conversation and the bow that that puts on it is that, you know, what what is that that is just pure that is humanity that is that is touching into what we all have in common the the, the desire to both love and be loved 
and to extend that across, you know, kind of borders are just man-made anyways, right? And 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 differences are only um they only matter if we focus on them. So I, I love that. This was so fun. What a thank treat. You. Thank, thanks thank so you much for having me. And thank you for the ice cream. You're you're so welcome. And and did um and and folks, Amit is Cecilia's husband. Um he's a vanilla guy. And so yes. I hope it was as I hope his vanilla was as good as our chocolate, though. Kind of like cat and dog people. I don't necessarily know that I could, you know, really get into the vanilla mindset. He was very happy with the vanilla. Very good. Thank you very much. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us again and keep playing and keep making change. Thanks, Cecilia. Thank you. Bye. Stay tuned for Double Scoop, two delicious insights from today's episode. Okay, time for Double Scoop. Well, the two delicious insights that I, and there's so many, but the two I'm going to select from today's conversation with Cecilia, number one, matching socks don't matter. She, the story that I shared where I did her laundry on the day she went to work at the White House and uh, couldn't match socks. And she came and told me, said, oh, we don't, we don't worry about match socks. And she could report to us that her daughters who are both in their twenties now are doing just fine. She's not actually sure if they match socks now but growing up without matched socks has not held them back at all. And second scoop, second insight is what she shared with us about her love of singing and joining a chorus. And that specifically, because the chorus requires unity and coordination and you know, reading the music and playing your parts and you know, singing your parts, that it is, engrossing and engaging and all other things, political persuasion, issues of the day, etc., fall away. And they're all there in a united way. And she said the way it both brings individual joy and builds collective community makes it one of her favorite things and one of her greatest sort of antidotes to, um, you know, difficult issues and heavy work. And she's so glad that she both sings uh, for the pleasure it gives her and she sings in a chorus for the pleasure it brings her in building community. So thanks a lot. We'll see y'all next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Playful Podcast with Christine Mitchie. You can find Christine on LinkedIn or learn more about her work with changemakers worldwide at impactfulinc.com. That's impactful with two L's, I-N-C.com. And you can find all episodes of the Playful Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcast content. See you next time.